Okay, if you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy 1. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture we'll be looking at is printed on the inside cover of your bulletin. There's also a place there to take notes. We're going to be focusing on verse 5 today, but we're going to start the reading in verse 2 just to catch the context. Can you hand that to me, Fred? It's right underneath. It's... Thank you. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. Friends, listen. This is God's word. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. This is God's word. So one thing that we all have in common is a part of our mission in life. Okay, everybody's got a different vocation, everybody's got different relationships, different situations they find themselves in, but we all have this in common, is that part of our mission in life is that we are called by God to make disciples. Okay, we're called by God to make disciples, and making disciples is the Christian version of mentoring other people, of being a blessing to other people, of being a blessing to the people around you. Discipling is spiritual mentoring. It's helping someone else know Jesus and follow him. And we've been learning about this disciple-making from Paul, who writes this letter to Timothy and shows us how he discipled others. And we've already seen that what, you know, what Paul says, we've been looking at this for the last couple of weeks, and we've seen that for us to embrace our mission to make disciples, um, so far we've seen we need to Number one, pray for others. We do this by praying for others, and we also do this by being present with others. Right? So we're praying for people, and we're spending time with people. And so the idea here is that we're telling you, I'm praying for you. I'm thankful for you. I can't wait to see you again. Right? This is the heart of a disciple maker. But here's the question. Here's the question. After I've prayed... And then after I've set a meeting, right, we're going to have coffee, we're going to have lunch, we're going to have breakfast, we're going to meet in the evening, we're going to have a beer, right? When we get together, what do I do? Right? What do I do? Do we just sort of sit each, sit each other awkwardly staring and smiling because we're hoping God shows up? <laughs> what exactly am I supposed to do? How do I help somebody else grow? What do I say? We're going to answer that question over the next three weeks. Okay, today and then the next two Sundays, we're going to get specific about the three kinds of things that you need to be saying to the person who's sitting across from you or who is emailing with you or who is Skyping with you, right? You can do this in all kinds of ways. Um, And before we look at what to say first, I just want to remind you of something, okay? I want to sort of set the tone so that you can receive what Paul does here to its full effect, Okay? You actually, I think, are more like Timothy than you might know. Okay? In my experience, I haven't been alive for a long, long time, but I'm getting close to 40. And I want to remind you of something. Most people, 
most people in this room, most people that you know, are their own worst critics. Okay? Most people are their own worst critics. When it comes to evaluating ourselves, so many of us focus on the negative. Right? The first thing that comes to our minds are the areas where we need to improve. When someone tells you you did a good job, the first two words out of your mouth are, yeah, but. Right? And some of us have been taught to do this by our parents. Some of us have had parents that in their effort to love us and to make us as good as we possibly can be, when you get a 99 on a, on a test, they want to know, what happened? You were so close. Oh, it would be so great for you to get 100. Right? Some of us are taught to evaluate ourselves this way. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, most people have a low opinion of who they are and a low opinion of what they think God can accomplish through them. Many people can't see for themselves what God is clearly doing in their lives. They see their failures, they get discouraged, they feel worthless. They think that God is disappointed or angry with them constantly. In this emphasis on disciple-making that we've begun at our church, um, there are so many people who like the idea but don't feel qualified to disciple someone else. Right? They don't know how God could use them. We've been talking about the Pauls and the Timothys in our relationships with others, and so many people think that they're just not qualified to help someone else grow. Right? So I'm not saying that we all should think that we could be the Apostle Paul. Okay, I'm not saying that. But so many people think that God can't use them at all in other people's lives. And in some way, this creates humility, you know, where people don't think too highly of themselves. And that can be a good thing sometimes. But what I also see as the pastor of this church is I see people who don't understand that God is at work in them and that God wants to use them to be a blessing to others. So that's God speaking to you saying, make sure you listen, right? That was what that text notification was. Right? God's saying, hey, he's talking to you. I want to make sure you hear this. Because this is what we struggle with, because this is what Timothy struggled with, Paul teaches us in verse 4, uh, and the first blank in your notes is this. What people need first is affirmation. Okay? What people need first to hear from you is affirmation. Is affirmation. And Timothy seems to have struggled with this also. Right? In the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, we can piece together some of Timothy's struggles, not with 100% surety, but with enough to where we, we feel pretty confident about this. But look at the commands that Paul gives to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, don't neglect your gifts. And then in 2 Timothy, what we're going to see as we go forward, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says again, don't neglect your gifts. This is something Timothy was dealing with. Verse 8, don't be ashamed. In chapter 2, verse 1, he says, be strong. In chapter 2, verse 15, he says, do your best. And so what we get here is a picture of Timothy as a younger guy who seems to be a little bit more on the timid side, who struggled to lead and was probably subjected to ridicule and criticism by both people in the church and outside the church. So can you relate to Timothy a little bit? Um, and this gets even clearer when we see what happened when Paul first invited Timothy to follow him in his ministry. 
Look at this. This is Acts 16. This is the first time we meet Timothy. It says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul knew that in the early church there were Jews who believed that if you weren't circumcised, you weren't really a Christian. A lot of the New Testament deals with the struggle between the Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews. The Jews and the non-Jews in the church. This was a huge question that people asked. You know, and, and people argued over this. The, uh, the entire church got together in their first like, general assembly meeting in Acts 15 and tried to figure out, hey, does it, do the Gentiles need to become circumcised if they want to be followers of Jesus? And so and there were people who basically said, if, you don't, if you're not circumcised, you're not a Christian. And so that wasn't true, but Paul knew how to choose his battles, and Paul chose not to fight that battle because Timothy had a Jewish mother, and so he circumcised Timothy so that people wouldn't get hung up in listening to him. Okay, does that make sense? So Timothy could say, yes, I'm circumcised, I am a full Jew. Now, the reason that I bring this up is because I'm sure this was also part of Timothy's struggles. Okay, and I think this gives us a little bit more insight into what might have been going on in Timothy's heart. So we know he was young, he was a little timid, but in addition to this, everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, or say it a different way, everyone knew that his father was not Jewish. And that was a big deal. Timothy would have been constantly criticized for being a fake Jew. I mean, after all, how could you be a follower of the Messiah if you're not Jewish? Right? Why in the world would I listen to anybody who wasn't circumcised? Jesus was circumcised. If it's good enough for Jesus... Right? And so why would I listen to this half-Jew? Why would I listen to this person? Um, people that were half-Jews at that time, some of them were called Samaritans, and they were the outcasts. Right? The Jews wouldn't even go into their land, let alone welcome them in to the family. And I think that this would have fueled the doubt in Timothy, would have fueled his struggles. He would have constantly felt like, because of my upbringing... I don't really belong. And so, into this struggle, into Timothy's struggles, right, into his doubt, into his uncertainty, into the conflicts that he's plagued with, Paul's, what Paul says first is affirmation. Look at verse 5. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you also. Paul's saying, Timothy, no matter what anybody says, I know that you have a sincere faith. I know that your faith is the real thing. It's not fake. It's not hypocrisy. It's the real thing. I'm sure of it. Your grandma had it, your mom had it, and I see it in you. The power of this statement from Paul, man, the power of this comes when you understand the implications of this in Timothy's life. 
and when you see how this statement would have been received by someone like Timothy, okay, what Paul is saying here is he's saying, look, with regard to the family of God, you are in. You are in, Timothy. He's saying, look, no matter what anybody says, no matter what kinds of arguments and, and, and fights about the scriptures and the Old Testament, but no matter any of that stuff, Timothy, you need to know first and foremost, with regard to the family of God, you are part of it. So the doubt that you feel, just put it away. There is no need for it because the thing that defines you as a Christian is not your circumcision, it's not your father, but it's your faith. It's your faith. Don't be discouraged. Don't doubt because you think you're a failure. It's your faith that makes you a Christian and your weaknesses, your struggles, your sins do not forfeit the blessings of Jesus. Now, the rest of this letter unpacks the implications of this faith. Paul's going to go on to talk about amazing things that are true of him because he has this faith. But the biggest thing that Paul needed to give to Timothy was the assurance that he was in. He affirms his faith. That's what Timothy probably was constantly battling with. With the voices that were outside of him. Those voices that probably creeped into his head and made him doubt himself. Paul affirms Timothy first and foremost. And this is what we need to do. This is what we need to do. We need to, um, we need to follow Paul. And when we begin to affirm other people, when we affirm the friendships that we have, we affirm the relationships that we have, when we affirm the people that we're discipling, amazing things happen. Amazing things happen. If you will say yes to beginning the practice of affirming others, amazing things will happen. We're going to talk about three of those things today. The first thing that affirmation does is that it brings joy to others. Okay? Affirmation brings joy to others. And we talked last week more about joy, right? Joy is the happiness, that deep happiness that you feel when you see God's promises come true in your life. Okay? We hope that God is with us. Right? We hope that God loves us. We hope that God is in us. We hope we're growing. But you experience joy when you know God is with you. Right? You experience joy when you know that God loves you. You experience joy when you know that you are growing. And going back to the beginning, our problem is that usually we can't see these things in our own lives. Usually, um, usually we're blind to our own progress. Usually we're afraid maybe to think that, oh, I think, we're, I think I'm growing, I think I'm getting better at this, I think I'm making progress in this area, in this habit, in this sin, in this struggle, in this relationship. Usually we're blind to our progress and sometimes it's good reason we don't want to be arrogant, but sometimes we're just blind to it. But, but, when someone else tells us that they see it, then we can dare to believe. 
right? When someone else tells you that they see in you that God's at work. When someone else tells you that they see, and sometimes we'll fight them. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. But then, like, there's a little bit of, okay, I'm going to take this and try to remember this for as long as I possibly can, right? This person said something about, they can see something in me. I couldn't see it, or I didn't know to see it, or I didn't, I didn't, I was afraid to, I don't know, but when someone else says it, man, it makes a huge, huge difference, and it gives us joy. It gives us joy because we think, man, maybe my faith isn't fake. Maybe Jesus is at work. You know what? I think Jesus is working. He's got all these promises he's made to me, and this person is seeing what he's doing in my life. When someone calls those things out of you, when they see what you're good at, when they see what you've done well, and they name it, man, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? That feeling you get is joy. It's joy. And I want you to think about that because, guess what? When you decide that you're going to start affirming other people, what you will do is make them feel that way. That your affirmations, your affirmations will make other people feel joy. So getting really practical, how do you do this, right? How exactly does this work? Well, so look, here are some suggestions. Think about someone in your life that you, that you are discipling, right? Think about someone in your life that you want to influence, you want to be a blessing to, and just ask yourself, what do you love about them? Right? What do you love about them? What do you see God doing in their lives? What do they do that reminds you of Jesus? Right? And what do they say? Or what do they act like? What are they like that reminds you of Jesus? And these questions can get us to a place where we begin thinking about, like, how do I affirm someone else? What do you see? What do you love about them? What do you see in them that can remind you of Jesus? Again, not perfect. Not perfect, but what do you see? Right, if Jesus is the full, glorious, majestic oak tree, right? Maybe they're a sapling. What do you see there? What do you see there? And so you answer these questions. Okay, then here's the secret to affirming others. Okay? You ready? Here's the secret. If you don't do this, then it doesn't work. Right? Two words. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Okay? Tell them. How amazing would it be? How depressing would it be? How much help would Paul be to Timothy if Paul thought amazing things about Timothy? But then when he wrote to him, he's like, okay, Timothy, come on, get your butt in gear. Get a move on. You're failing. You're flacking. You're slacking. Come on, Timothy. Let's go. That's not what Paul does. The first thing that Paul says to Timothy is, you know what, Timothy? I know your struggles. And I also know your faith. It's real. Timothy, you are in. You're in. Your grandmother had it. Your mom had it. If you're worried about Jewish lineage, you've got it. Okay? You've got it. 
And as Paul tells Timothy, friends, we need to tell others. Because when you tell others, it brings them joy. Now, I think it makes sense that this verse comes after verse verse 3. Because in verse 3, we have Paul praying, right? He tells us to pray for others. And I think prayer can be a really wonderful way to reflect on what you can affirm in them. Okay? Because as you pray for them, ask God these questions. Right? Some of you, you're already thinking about things that you could affirm in someone else. Others of you are like, "Uh uh-oh. Now I'm in trouble because the next time I talk to this person, whoever it is, maybe they're in the church, they're going to maybe be expecting this from me and I don't know what to say. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? Well, this is why affirmation is step three, right? It comes after prayer. So you can pray, and as you pray, ask God these same questions. God, what do you love about them? God, what are you doing in their life? God, what does this person do that reminds you of Jesus? God, what do they like that reminds you of Jesus? And as you think about that, I would encourage you to have a pen and a piece of paper. Use your CBR journal, right? Just write their name. You can write down the question because... My experience has been that as I do that, as I pray for people and I ask God these questions, God tells me, you know what? They're not fake. They tell you exactly what they think. You don't have to wonder where you stand. You know what? They're really devoted to their friends. You know, they're they're loyal. You know, And as you pray through it, God will... I mean, sometimes you might remember a verse of Scripture that might describe them. Sometimes you might remember a story about Jesus that may remind you of them. Or God just may give you some qualities. Um, Things that God loves in them. Things that God thinks remind him of Jesus. And so you want to pray. You can ask God. And then when you get together... You just make sure you both see this. You see both, it's on both screens, right? When you get together, okay? This screen and that one over there. They say, it's to tell them, right? You got to tell them. You got to tell them. Now, how do you do that, right? Okay, now it's really awkward, okay? Now you're sitting there and it's like, you know, I get it, right? So, okay, let me just give you some suggestions. And I get, I'm not making fun of you if you feel like this is hard because this can be difficult, right? You're overcoming a social barrier. You're going to tell somebody something, you're going to tell something nice. You're going to tell them something nice, right? And that can be awkward because what do you say after you're done? Well, we're not even going to talk about that yet, right? <laughs> Look, here are three things that I have said repeatedly to other people that I'm just sharing with you. If you want to just quote me, you can do this. If you want to write your own thing, that's even better. Um, I want this to be practical because of why this is so important. Because remember what joy is. Joy is when you're convinced that God's promises are coming true in your life. Don't you want other people to experience that? Don't you realize? Don't you realize that God is not going to be able to sit down and look at someone else in the eye? But you can you can. And Jesus says you're part of his body because when you do it, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, so let's read these. Okay, 
Listen, as I was praying for you, um, God reminded me of something that I wanted to affirm in you. Okay? When you said this the other day, it reminded me of the, of the care and the love of Jesus. Right? When I see the way that you have made a commitment um, to do something that you wouldn't do normally, but you're doing it because someone else wants you to. That shows the steadfast love and the devotion of Jesus to me. And I just wanted you to be encouraged. Right? I'd like to affirm something that I've seen in your life that encourages me. The passion that you have to study the scriptures. It's inspiring. It's inspiring to me. It reminds me of what's really important. And it reminds me of what I want to grow and to be, be more like. Right? Or, hey, can I share with you something that has really encouraged me? The way that you haven't given up. The way that you're willing to worship God even in the hard times. It really encourages me. We've got to be able to do this, right? Because when we do this, it gives people joy. We let people know that God is really at work in them, that their faith is sincere, that you can see the fruit of their faith. It gives them joy. Okay, I want to make a quick application um, from, this, from this verse to families and to single parents. Okay? Um, women, explicitly. Look, you can disciple your children if you are alone in your faith. Okay? Timothy's father was not a believer, and yet Lois raised a Timothy. The reason that I'm confident that you can do this, even when you're alone in the family as a believer, is because you're not alone. Live a life, again, not of perfect faith, but of sincere faith. Live a life that is not perfect, but is honest about your imperfections. Right? What moves people, what moves children more than anything else is authentic relationships. And if they see that in you, if they hear that you pray and when God answers your prayers, if they can hear from you when you pray and God doesn't answer and yet you still love him because it's, his ways are best, right? when you live a life before them where the gospel is real in your life, they will see it, and no matter what they say about it, it will stick with them. One other thing, um, look, in this verse, there's no mention of Timothy's father's faith. There's no mention of Timothy's father's faith. In this family, there is no mention of Timothy's father's faith. We don't know if Timothy, Timothy's father believed or not. 
We don't know if Timothy's father believed or not. We don't know about Timothy's father's faith. Men, could you make sure this is never, ever said about you? Again, you don't have to be perfect. I get the, the, the awkwardness. So I am an extrovert, highly relational, and yet there are awkward times where I feel uncomfortable talking about God in my family. I'm a pastor, right? It's not supposed to be that way, right? It's not like, I, if anybody, right? We have Bible studies all the time for hours and hours and hours in my home. Uh-uh. <laughs> no way. Like, I struggle just like you do. Okay? Now, I've been working at this, right? I've been working hard, and there are times when it's still awkward. There's times when it's still awkward. So because it's awkward doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. Okay? It's awkward because, man, because our lives are complicated, because our lives are disconnected, because we're running all over the place, because, yeah, you're worried just like I am that if I bring up the Bible, my kids' eyes are going to roll. Like, oh, man, here we go. You just don't ever want your family to not know where you stand with Jesus. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be a great Bible teacher, but you need to make sure that at least your family knows what you believe and they can see and hear the genuineness of your faith. Okay? You need to make sure that they can see it and hear it. Okay? It can be in simple ways. But you just, you want to take an active role in the spiritual development of your family. Your spouse, your children at least need to know about your faith. Okay. So, affirmation, it brings joy to others. And we have two more points that are very, very quick, so don't worry. Um, This brings joy to others. And second, this act of affirming others is a huge blessing to you. Right? It's a huge blessing to you. Because what you're doing in that moment, what you're doing is you are noticing things that God notices. Okay? You are pointing out the best in them. You are pointing out what is good in them. You're pointing out God's image. You're pointing out their spiritual giftedness. You're pointing out the life that you see in others. And when you do that, God is using you. God is actually speaking through you. You are speaking for God when you do that. Your affirmation helps them to be convinced that God is for them. Right? When you see it, when you see it, they can begin to believe that God sees it too. And so we talk a lot about the gospel, and there are times when we talk about all that Jesus has done for us. Right? In his life, his death, his resurrection, he forgives us, he accepts us into his family. Well, then we sometimes we talk about God in us. Right? Jesus working in us, right? giving us a new heart, changing our heart and our mind, dwelling within us. Well, then there's this piece where Jesus works through us, where the gospel 
changes us so that we become a blessing to others. And when you do this, when you practice affirming others, when you develop the habit and you get good at affirming what you see God do in others, what happens then is that you let the gospel work through you. That is a huge blessing. When you realize that your words can actually encourage, enhance, and promote spiritual life in others, that is revolutionary. That God can use you Right? God works through you, using you to build up their faith. So it's a huge blessing to you. And then the last thing we're going to see is that this also renews the culture of our church. Okay? Because when we begin to do this as individuals and more and more of us do this, this practice of affirmation will transform and renew the culture of our church. What Paul was trying to do with all of his efforts was he was trying to build a community of people where they could see God in the world, where they could see God in each other, where they were committed to making sure that every person had someone in their life who could see the best in them. People who were so convinced that God was for them, so convinced of God's forgiveness, so convinced of God's acceptance, that they would be able to say, yeah, 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 I know you got issues. I know you have struggles. I know some of your struggles, right? But here's what I see in you. Don't lose sight of the fact that God is in you. Man, what would happen? What would happen if every single one of us encouraged someone else this week? What would happen if you affirmed Let's say one other person this week, let alone three, right? What would happen if our church became so known for seeing the best in others, so known for being this welcoming community that is great? I mean, I think already when, we, when people come in, they say how friendly we are, and that's amazing, right? A lot of churches can't say that, and I'm excited and thankful for you because we can but beyond that, what if we became a place that was known for, yeah, like that place, like they see God in me. And it's kind of weird, but I like it. Right? These people, man, they see what I'm doing and they get to the place where they know what I'm trying to do. Right? They look at me, and they're not dishonest about my sin. They confess their sins. They get quiet during their services. They have this Bible reading thing that makes them every day you know, confess their sins and their sinfulness to God. So they're not ignoring the, the, the fact they need to grow, but their growth is fueled by this confidence in the unending love of God. Man. I mean, what would your life be? What would your workplace be if that's what you were known for? completely blew it this week. Yeah. Um, I got a ticket for parking my car in my driveway this week. Um, Because there's a sidewalk that runs through my driveway and I was parked on the sidewalk. And my neighbor came up knocking on the door, Stephen, Stephen, hey, the meter maid's out here and she's giving you a ticket. It's like a running out with, you know, 
racing through my mind. What am I going to say? How can I win this person? How can I, you know, and I try with my best to like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm starting to be gracious. Oh man, boy, what happened here? Help me understand. I'm trying to get her to start talking to me. I'm trying to get her to explain. And she was done. Like she was getting in her car. I'm like, no, 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 please help me understand. Wait, wait, wait. I'm just in the driveway here. Like, this is my driveway. Like, it's old, it's beat up, it's full of rocks. Like, it's not pretty, but it's a driveway. No, 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 sir, this is a sidewalk right here. I'm like, okay, good, she's talking to me. Okay, so, I'm like, but look at my neighbor. Like, they play, like, this whole drive. There's no sidewalk here on my neighbors. And on this side, they paved this. This is a whole driveway. Like, help me understand. How am I supposed to know this? And she's like, sir, I've already written the ticket. It's, it's wirelessly sent. It's on your, I'm sorry, but you know, you can't, we're not doing anything. You should know this better. I'm like, where are we supposed to learn this? <laughs> and she said, well, it's in this something or other manual. And I knew I caught her because she didn't say it with certainty. I'm like, wait, wait, where is that? Where is that? Show me where that is. Because when I moved in here, I didn't get that. Like, where is that somewhere? And, and then she got to that place where she was just kind of done. And then she wanted to leave right? And she wanted to leave. And at that point, I began to try to extract, I think, some measure of revenge. Um, and I didn't yell at her. I didn't, um, I, didn't, um, I didn't say anything inappropriate in a way that like, I'd be embarrassed to say, other than just I'm confessing my sins to you right now in front of all of you. But, um, but you know what I mean. So, but, but what I did was I began to I began to really lean and to say, just the tone of my voice, um, I just, I I kept saying, this isn't fair, this is wrong. Um, I'm trying to ask you some questions here so that I can make our city better. Like I tried that, I tried that angle. Um, But I made her suffer, you know, by just leaning on her um, for doing her job. I was the opposite of this. Um, And my neighbor was outside. And so she ended up driving off, and I was still talking when she drove off. Um, and, uh, And I just started feeling bad. I was thinking, I didn't actually think about that I was preaching on this. Um, but I was thinking, like, Stephen, that was wrong. Like, what you did, like, it's not her fault. She's doing her job, um, and you made her pay. Like, you made her have to suffer. Um, what I should have done was I should have gone out and done everything I could to plead with her and build a relationship and, and be kind and gentle to understand to see if there was any hope, right, of getting out of the ticket. But when she told me that the ticket was on my windshield, at that point I knew that it was over. Right? I knew that they just can't take him. I know that. I know that. I know that. And what I should have done at that point was I should have said, you know what? Okay, I'm obviously not happy about this, but you're doing your job, and I'm not going to take this out on you. Have a nice day. That's what I should have done. Thank you for doing your job. You know, I'm sure that there are people who would get a ticket and really not, they, they would stop doing something that's really detrimental to society because of, your, because of what you're doing. Um, and, uh, but I just, I mean, there's, no, there's not a good excuse for that, right? I sinned in my anger, I sinned in my frustration. And, um, and I began, and then, actually just this morning when we were singing, you know, um, I, I remembered Hebrews 10, 34, 
where it says that there were people in the first century who joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods because they had an inheritance that could never fade away or be taken from them. And I thought, that's what I should have been like. That's what I should have been like. So, so I'm on a hunt for this meter maid <laughs> because I want to apologize. And I want to affirm her in the job that she's doing. Uh, but I did go back to my neighbor and I said, look, you might think I'm crazy, but I think what I did was wrong. And this is what I should have done. And she said, well, you didn't cuss, you didn't swear, you didn't raise your voice. And I said, yeah, but here's what I should have done. And she said, well, huh. She said, I just love you. <laughs> she's like, I can't, yeah, she, I mean, she's like, I wouldn't do that, but I understand why you might want to. Um, so what does this have to do with affirmation um, I don't know I think I'm just feeling guilty about what I did so but no I mean this is if we have people see this is what it can lead to right if I was more filled with a desire to affirm people right sometimes I do it really really well sometimes I've gotten really good at it in some situations but man all of us if we could get to a place where we could respond that way Right, where we're so full of the love of God and, and the fellowship, like really fellowship with his spirit. Man, how amazing would it be for us to be able to treat other people that way? To be able to affirm them, to be able to see what's best in them. Man, this week, who can you affirm? Who can you affirm this week? For the rest of our service, think about that. If there's a person on your heart, write it down. Write in your bulletin. Just put a name and maybe something that you want to say that you can affirm in them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thanks for Paul's example. Thank you that we can learn from it. Lord, we confess that we don't affirm people the way we should. God, this amazing privilege that you've given to us that we could actually bring joy to others. Father, we want to be these kinds of people. Um, we see it clearly. We want to give them joy. We know it's good for us. We know it will transform the way our church is if the relationships that we have in this church are characterized by us affirming each other. Let this be the first thing that we share with people and, and teach us. God, give us your eyes to see what you're doing in the lives of others. Give us your eyes so that we can see how others remind us of Jesus. And this week, Father, together we commit this week that we're going to affirm at least one person and tell them what we see you doing. Father, we thank you that this is all just a reflection of you. Jesus, thank you that even in light of all the things that we have done wrong, the gospel starts out as the good news that you have come to save, that you have come to show the kindness and the love and the favor of God. So thank you for sharing this with us so that we can share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.